0: Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Mark, chapter 6. And uh, as you make your way there today, I'd like to say again, Happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Since it's Father's Day, I considered preaching a message today just to men or to dads here today. I ultimately decided against it, but I did contemplate uh, some sermon titles that I I couldn't decide on. And so I just wanted to share some of those potentials with you today. Uh, So I did consider preaching today a sermon entitled Three guides to Godly guys, uh, but I just didn't get a piece about it. I was also really close to preaching four common hindrances to becoming holy hunks, but I just didn't feel like that that was the direction for the day. I also considered preaching a sermon entitled Two Musts for Manly Men but I just thought about the present manliness of our men here at Enan and I just didn't think we required it so as you know, I often challenge our guys, we're always talking about our, our walks with the Lord, so I thought about doing three do's for divine dudes, and uh, that sermon just didn't really come together. But my favorite potential sermon for today was Seven Steps for Sanctified Studs. And uh, I just didn't think that we were quite ready for that today. Uh, man, aren't you glad that we can laugh in church this morning? Let's give the Lord a hand, man. It's just fun to be here today. But in all seriousness, today we're going to continue in our series uh, through the book of Mark. Mighty moments in the book of Mark. And uh, so Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning in the reverence of the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 6 beginning in verse 7. And he, speaking of Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them. Then they went about and preached that men should Repent. And that they were casting out many demons and were anointing anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Let's pray. Father, as we see in this morning, God, you sending out your disciples. Lord, so many of us here this morning, we call ourselves Christians, disciples of Christ. And God, you also desire to send us out. So Father, I pray, truly prepare our hearts. I pray, God, that this would be a commissioning moment, an Acts 13 moment, if they were ministering to the Lord and the Holy Spirit said, set apart. So God, I pray this morning, would you do that for your name and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This message, out of our message today, is six ways to live your life sent Six ways to live your life sent. Now this message is important to us today here at Enon because as a church that believes the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we understand that we are called as Christians to live sent. Meaning that we attempt to share the real story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to everyone that we come in contact with. First, for the glory of God. And secondly, because we know that everyone on this planet needs Jesus. And the consequences of not knowing him are dire. Here at Enon, one of our values that we have as a church is that we value being a sending church. Which means that we pray that every member of our church body sees themselves as being sent out with the good news of Jesus And this is why this message is so important, especially today among fathers, is because God has called us as dads, as fathers, to be the spiritual leaders in our houses. And one of the greatest things that you can do as dads is to see your families as your greatest mission field and that they can see you serving your Jesus in a real way. Here at Enon, we want to be sent out for the gospel of Jesus with hearts full of love, hands full, full of service to others, and mouths that are full of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. This is why we conclude each sermon on Sundays. We conclude it with the commissioning moment. We are sent. You are sent. We don't want those words to just be rote or routine. We want that to be genuine. We want us to leave this place sent out every Sunday with the intentional purpose of bringing the gospel to those around us. Now the reason why focusing on this is so important It's not only because it's biblical and foundational to the Christian life, but because, honestly, it's something we're struggling in. We're not necessarily living sent as we should. You know, there's a lot of studies right now that have spoken about um, the Christian faith in evangelism practically right now. One study showed that 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Jesus Christ that 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness the gospel of Christ to others, and less than 2% are actively involved in the ministry of evangelism. This should grieve our hearts because this is not who we were intended to be in Jesus. Another study showed that among millennials, that 47% of millennials believe that it's somewhat wrong To share your faith with another person of another faith with the intention of winning them to Christ. That there's some kind of boundary there that's improper, which is antithetical to the New Testament, who was consistently preaching to those who believed in many gods or little g gods in the one true God. So today, as we talk about how to live sent, my prayer is, For those of us who are here this morning, who you're ready to go, you are ready to go share about Jesus with those around you, that God just equips you this morning. My other prayer would be is that for those of you this morning who are on the sidelines, you're not really in the game as far as sharing the gospel, that God calls you up and puts you in the game today. So as we look at this text, the very first moment we see in Scripture where Jesus sends out all 12 of His disciples, this is their first commissioning moment. I believe that there's some truths that can help us with that today. So if you're keeping notes, we're going to jump right in. First step, the first step to living your life sent for Jesus is that you need to be commissioned. Now we understand the word commission as that's what means a person who has been given us an assignment or a duty. When an officer in the military is given their commission, it means that they're given a rank that brings with it responsibility and duty towards a specific task. For Christians, living commission means that you've been officially assigned. For Christians, living commissions means that living commissioned means that you've been sent out for the work of Jesus of telling others about him. And that's exactly what we see here in verse 7. The Bible says, and he, speaking of Jesus, summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now the two words that we find in this passage that are essential to us understand what it looks like to live commissioned, to live sent, are these two words, summoned and sent. We see in this passage that Jesus first summoned the disciples, he called them, and then he sent them out. We see the same thing earlier in Mark chapter 3 before he had called all 12 of the disciples. The Bible says that he sent them out, he called them to himself, and then he sent them out with authority to preach and cast out demons. Now the word summon essentially just means to be called. It's Jesus saying, hey guys, come here for a moment. Here before Jesus sends his disciples out, he calls them unto himself. And it's a picture of intimacy and relationship. He brings them close before he sends them out. And then the word sent in the Greek is apostoleo. It's the same root word where we see that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 4 to describe the gift of apostle. The word apostle just means the sent ones. For Jesus to send you means that you've been given the honor and opportunity to go out and serve him. It's as though the king has tapped your shoulder and has given you a sacred mission. Now, if you bring these two words together, we kind of get the overall picture of what it means to be commissioned, what it means to be sent out. And it starts off first with God drawing you to himself. Intimacy is the beginning of commissioning. If you're not walking in nearness with Jesus, then we're never going to go tell people about Jesus. Just like you being a born-again Christian is the first step to being a missionary for him, to being an evangelism for him. You can't ever tell anybody about a Jesus in whom you don't know. And I would say the same thing is true for Christians who are not walking in nearness with him. You're not going to tell people about a Jesus that you haven't known lately, that you haven't known recently here. It's the idea that Jesus is saying, I want to draw you close and then send you out. What I've seen over and over again in Scripture and in ministry is that those in whom God has drawn close are those in whom he sends out. Before God sent Moses back to Egypt, he drew him to himself on the mountain. Before Isaiah said, here I am, send me, he saw first a vision of the Lord high and lifted up. Before Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, he first said, follow me. You may say, Pastor Zach, what does this mean for me? And I would say to you today that if we want to live sent, we need to heed his call to come near. And then once we come near, he will send you out. God loves laborers according to Luke chapter 10. But we also see in the latter part of that same chapter in the story of Mary Mary and Martha is that God loves lovers as well. Some of the greatest soul winners and servants of God that I have ever known in my life We're also some of the greatest lovers of Jesus that I've ever known. I've got a friend of mine who has served Jesus in so many incredible ways. He has been a missionary overseas. He has been a church planter in the Midwest. He has served in church bodies and now he's presently working a secular job and God is using him mightily. And every time I talk to this guy, it seems like God is using him in some incredible way. But he is also one of the most passionate lovers of Jesus that I know. I remember before he and I had gotten, either one of us had gotten married, and we, uh, I was going to go preach at a retreat and at the beach for a, another church, and I invited him just to come with me. Now, I remember standing in the back of the room as a couple hundred teenagers was worshiping, and I was getting ready to go preach, that I looked over at him, and he was kneeling on this concrete floor as he worshiped with his hands up, and I noticed that he had taken his shoes off. Later on that evening, we were talking about the service and how God was moving. And he said to me, he said, Zach, I sensed the Spirit of God so much that I just had to take my shoes off because that was as if I was standing on holy ground. This man that I knew that God is continually to use in mighty ways is also one of the greatest lovers of Jesus that I know. Church family, if we want to live sent, we've got to be commissioned, meaning we've got to be called near and sent out. And that's the way that goes. You can't ever be sent out if you're not near. And so I would say this morning, if we want to live sent, we've got to lean in to our intimacy with Jesus. Second step to live your life sent for Jesus is you need companions. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7. We see that not only is Jesus sending his disciples out, the Bible says he's sending them out in pairs. Now, in this passage, we see one great lesson here for the value of being sent, living your life sent, and it's the value of not going alone. Now, don't get me wrong. Being sent out in pairs doesn't always mean that you physically have someone with you at all times as you share the gospel and engage brokenness around you. There's many times in the New Testament where we see that those who are being used of God are seemingly kind of alone in that moment. But if you really dive into that, you find out that they're not really alone, that they've been sent out by people, that the church has sent them out, that they have those who are praying for them, who are near to them. Over and over again in Scripture, the value of godly companions in our lives as being a key to success in living our lives sent and being used of God is seen throughout the Scriptures. Moses had Aaron. Joshua had Caleb. Paul had Timothy. And in fact, in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 through 3, we see one of the first major sending moments of the New Testament. And this is what it says. While they were ministering to the Lord... And fasting, which, by the way, this is, confirms our first truth, is that when we're near to God, is when God sends us out. The early church is just meeting with Jesus. They're loving on Jesus. They're ministering to God in worship and fasting. And then God shows up and says, "Okay, now I'm about to send some of these people. These people are hungry for me." And He says to Him, while they were ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul." For the work which I have for them. Barnabas and Saul, God is sending them out in pairs. There are many ways that companions in Jesus help us live sin. Friends in Jesus help you stay holy by keeping you accountable. Let me say something to our men here this morning on Father's Day and to everyone in general. It seems like every time I have someone in my office that has fallen into great moral sin that they are losing their family, they're losing their job, they may potentially be going to jail. My first question that I ask them of Christian people, I ask them, "Are who are the godly friends that you have in your life? Virtually 99% of the time, they are isolated from people around them. God has not designed us to live life alone. If you're in here this morning and you don't have some godly friends in Jesus that you meet with regularly, you are setting yourself up for failure. God uses godly friends to help you stay humble. God uses godly friends to help you stay humble. God uses godly friends to help you stay hungry for Jesus and for worship and the pursuit of the Lord. And then also godly friends help you stay hot for the glory of God and to see souls come to know Jesus. I was thinking about this this last week, and I was thinking about all the godly friends that he has put in my life that spurred me on to serve the Lord, and I couldn't help uh, but think about when I was about 16 years old, just a few years after coming to faith in Christ, is that I had a friend that I played football with. He was one grade older than me. His name was Brandon Doss. He is also a pastor today in the Birmingham area. And he and I used to get together regularly just to pray and read the Bible and worship Jesus. We didn't have any agenda. We just loved Jesus and we were both playing ball together and we loved her. We wanted to see God do a work in our school. So we just got together and prayed a lot and worshiped the Lord. And I remember one day we got so passionate that knowing that God wanted us to go and tell other people about him is that we made a plan that next Saturday morning that we were going to meet together and just go knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. We met up at my house. We went to Country Haven Subdivision there in Kimberley. We had never been trained in evangelism. We didn't know anything about how to do door-to-door evangelism. But we buddied up and we started knocking on doors. And I'm sure we probably came in a little hot, you know. People opened up the door. Hey, we don't know why we're here today except Jesus. We love Jesus and we just want you to know him too, you know. But I know what? I know we prayed for a lot of people that day. And I know this, I know that as a young teenager, God showed me something. I would never have done that if I didn't have somebody with me. Church family, if you're here this morning, one of the statements that uh, we used to make at the Summit Church that, I'm, uh, speak, that I have brought to our deacons and to our staff here is that movements of God happen among friends. Movements of God happen among godly people connecting together. I want to ask you, church family, this morning, what godly friends do you have in your life that cause you to live sent What godly friends do you have that help you stay holy and hungry and hot for Jesus? If you don't have that friend today, this is why God designed the church. And I would say to you, if you haven't made Eden Baptist Church your church home, find a church home and join it. And then once you join it, connect in a small group, a life group here. I have truly never seen someone truly used of God for the long haul that wasn't tied to a local church. It is God's design. And I would also say to you today, if you do have those godly friends around you, then be the one who gets those friends together once a week or at the very least once a month to do nothing else except, guys, we just want to talk about where we are with Jesus and then let's pray and say, oh God, make us passionate for you. Thirdly, the third step to live your life sent for Jesus is you need to be carried by God's power. The last aspect of verse 7 we need to see today is how Jesus specifically empowered his disciples. It says that he gave them authority, that word authority, over unclean spirits. That word authority in the Greek is most commonly translated as power It's the same word that we talked about at the first sermon of this series in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus walks into the synagogue there in Capernaum and he taught with one who had authority, meaning he taught with power and ultimately he set a man free in that synagogue. Essentially, what is taking place here in this passage is that the disciples are being sent out by Jesus with supernatural empowerment to work in their lives in the same way that Jesus was at work in the people around him. It wasn't that Jesus was going to strengthen their spiritual muscles or do something, uh, do something extraordinary to them, but rather that they would just become vessels by which God would pour out His power and whom His power would work through. And we see that all over Scripture. The Bible over and over again in Scripture talks about Him wanting to empower us to do His work. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Scripture says, "...but you will receive power." When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. The Apostle Paul prayed and and tried to encourage the church to think about the power that they have in him saying in Ephesians 3.20. He said now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Church family, I don't know what all God wants to do through us for his name and glory. I believe he wants to empower us to preach Jesus to those around us. I believe he wants to empower us to see people born again through, throughout Morrison, and Kimberly and Warrior and all of North Jefferson. I believe that Jesus wants to empower us to see darkness flee in Jesus' name in our community. And I believe that Jesus wants to empower us to do, as Paul said here in Ephesians 3, exceedingly, abundantly above all we could ask or think. Church family, this past week I had the privilege to go out to Southern California for the Southern Baptist Convention. And While I was there on Wednesday night, I went and worshiped at a prayer and worship night at Saddleback Church in Southern California. Now, I don't agree doctrinally with everything they do, but they do believe the gospel and they are brothers and sisters in Jesus and thank God for them. As I was there, I had a moment in this time where I felt, hey, God is doing something special. There was a moment where a couple thousand people in the middle of one of the darkest states, theologically, spiritually, in our nation, that these people had gathered of all ages, all ethnicities, and all they were doing there that night was just there to pray and worship the Lord. They had a moment where they invited people to get saved and three or four people randomly came to faith and Christ was baptized on the spot. They had a moment where people could be prayed over for healing and there was a time for people to pray over just like we've done here in the past. There were times of worship that was intimate and sincere and times of sending and as God was moving you could truly sense his presence there and all I could think about. Let's think about it. It was in that area in Southern California in the 1970s where the Jesus movement began and revival swept across our nation the last time that revival came to our nation. And I couldn't help but think, oh, God, are you doing it again? God, are you sending revival afresh and anew to your people and church family? If he is, and I believe he is, I believe that he wants us here at Eden Baptist Church to be a part of it. According to Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 13 though, the power of God is not something we can fake and it's not something we can conjure up. A lost and next generation will not look at the church who is faking the power of God and say that God is there. But they will look to the real movement of God among His people. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place? According to Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 13, we usually see two things that are most common when the power of God is poured out among His people. And it is prayer, when God's people come to pray, and Acts chapter 13, it is praying over one another, the laying on of hands. This is what I would say to us today, church. If we desire to live sent, we have to be carried by the power of God. Now, if we want to do church, We can go through the rhythms and do church, and we can do church and and do church well and have good church. But if we want God in our midst, if we want God in our community, we need the power of God. What would happen today if our services went a little long? Kind of like it did in the first service. If our services went a little long because we had to take so much time to pray over the people of God. That God would give them a fresh feeling of His power and send them out for His name and glory. The fourth step to live your life sent for Jesus is you need to be convinced in the provision of God. In verses 18 through 10, Jesus is preparing to send out His disciples. And he, He begins to speak to what their human needs would be as they go. And He basically tells them to trust in Him. Don't bring anything extra. Don't bring a bread. Don't bring bag. Don't bring money. Don't wear sandals. Don't bring two tunics. If if you go to an area, I'm going to provide a place for you to stay. And if people don't want you there, shake the dust off of your feet. Here is Jesus is sending out his disciples. The only thing he tells them to carry with them is a staff. Now, a staff was something that would have been common for people to carry when they were on a long journey. It signified that they were on a long journey. They were carrying with them A staff. Basically, what Jesus says to his disciples here is, guys, all I want from you is to be willing to go. All I want for you is to be willing to walk where I tell you and I'll take care of everything else. To trust in me and to not be afraid. Now, what does this mean for us today? I believe it means that whatever fears we might have in living sent is that God wants us to trust him. Some of you today, you fear living sin because what it might mean. God may call you to do something out of your comfort zone. God may call you to share the gospel with people who have hurt you. Share the gospel among the nations. Just share the gospel in general that you've never done. God may call you to do something that's not usual for you. But we must trust Him. Some of us fear living sent because you might face possible rejection You're afraid of someone telling you that they don't care or ridiculing you or rejecting you. Friends, we must trust God. Some of us fear living sin because you might face financial insecurity. You're afraid that God might call you to leave your present job or to take a lesser financial compensation so that you might serve Jesus more freely. Again, we must trust. Some of us fear living sin because of what other people around you might think. You're afraid if you start telling people about Jesus, your friends or your co-workers or your family members might say you're becoming one of those religious fanatics or nuts. Again, I would say we must trust. I would say that while all of these fears are legitimate, meaning that, yes, if you put your yes on the table for Jesus to make His glory known, then, yes, it may cost you some relationships. It may cost you certain jobs and worldly endeavors. It may cost you money. And it may cost you comfort. However, in the same way that Jesus demanded that those who would serve Him would have to trust, we too are called to trust. In church family, let me me just think about this for a moment. How can we say that we are people of faith, but yet have never taken steps to be faithful? How, How can we say that we trust in Jesus if we've never had moments where we've had to truly trust in Jesus? I heard a pastor say one time, the three things that kill a movement of God personally and within the church are pride, hidden sin, and fear. Church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever you're afraid of when it comes to giving your life to serve Jesus in whatever way he may lead you, you need to know that whatever you're afraid of, as we talked about last week with Jesus in the storm, God is able. This past week, again, I was blessed to go to the Southern Baptist Convention and One of the most powerful moments of it is always the missionary commissioning moment. It's one of the greatest reasons why I love being a Southern Baptist is is cooperatively we are able to do more together through our cooperative program, giving which you give towards as you give your tithes and offerings and through things like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I got to see 52 missionaries sent out for the glory of God for their lives among the nations. That does not include all the children that they had with them. As they would bring some of them up on the stage and they would share where they're going and what they're going to do. Over half of them, they brought them behind a screen that only showed their silhouette so that their faces could not be seen. They read personally what their prayer needs from a narrator Because their voices could not be heard. Because technology today can can single out people's voices, can recognize people's voices. And facial recognition software can recognize these people's faces. And that couldn't take place because they were going to places where the gospel is illegal to go. Many of them having children. I saw people going to sub-Saharan Africa. I saw people going to Southeast Asia. I saw people going to the Middle East and hear me this morning, church. Every one of these missionaries who knew that they were going to these dangerous places, these were normal people. These were not super saints. These are just regular Christian people. These were HVAC workers and firefighters and police officers and nurses and teachers that God had called to put their yes on the table and they were going. And every one of them had fears. Every one of them were afraid of certain things. But the one thing that was consistently spoken over and over again in their voices was that they were more afraid of not being obedient to their Savior. They were more afraid of their lives not being used for the glory of God than they were what they may face on the field. And so what did they do? They trusted in Jesus. Church family Is the glory of God worth our trust? Is the glory of God worth our commitment? I remember hearing the story of the Moravian Missionary Society. The story goes that their, their theme is, May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of their sufferings. The theme came from two missionary brothers who were leaving their families and going to an island to share the gospel. And the only way to get on this island was to sell themselves as slaves on this island. And so when they told their families what they had done, their families wept for them and tried to convince them not to go. But they stayed consistent in their goal. On the day that it was time for them to leave, they got on this ship. And as the ship was going away, all their families were on the pier. There were weeping and were worried and concerned and many of them angry. But with their arms linked just before they went out of where they could hear, just before they went out of earshot, one of the young men stood up on the sides of the deck and yelled that statement, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his sufferings. Basically, what they were saying to us, family, Jesus is worth it. Church family, when we talk about being convinced of the provision of God, you're talking about facing the fear. But it's worth it. It's worth it if the glory of God is worth it. Very quickly, the fifth step to living your life sent for Jesus is being committed to the proclamation of the gospel. Look in verse 12, it says, And they went out and they preached. That men should repent. Essentially what they're saying is they went out and told people, come to Jesus. Now listen, as a church, there are many things that we do that have gospel ends. We serve our community. We feed the hungry. We love the people around us. But in the end, we have to be willing to verbally communicate with people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And how he wants to know them. This is sharing the gospel. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, how will they call on him in whom they have not heard, believed. And how would they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Friends and family, believe it or not, we still have thousands of people around us here in North Jefferson County who have never heard the gospel. Sure, they may have heard about Jesus, but they don't understand sin, and they don't understand that Jesus is love for them. And then also, we have thousands of people around us who have heard the gospel, but have still not yet received Jesus. And the difference between these people getting their first chance to come to know Jesus or getting their second chance to come to know Jesus is whether or not we here today will choose to live sent. Choosing to live sent by being a person who is ready to proclaim the gospel. It could begin for you today by saying, I am going this year to get trained in how to share my faith. And we'll be offering that this fall. It may be you getting your godly friends together. And saying, guys, when was the last time we won somebody to Jesus? Ladies, when was the last time we won somebody? Or have we ever? Have that awkward, humbling conversation. And then maybe commit to weekly to pray, oh God, make us soul winners. But what I would say to you here today is that if you choose to live sent, God will send you. I remember right after arriving here as your pastor and getting to meet your staff, I got to meet... Mr. Luke Chris, who is our student minister here, And one of the things that Luke said that he wanted to start praying that God would do in him is to ignite a passion for personal soul winning, to engage lost people. And he's a little introverted by nature, and that was a little intimidating for him. So we started praying that God would do that. And what did he start doing? He started cooperating with what God was doing. He started putting himself around people who didn't know Jesus. One of the ways that he did that was he started going uh, during the week up to the high school to just hang out in the lunchroom and, and meet some of our students and, and just engage people. One day at the lunchroom, he sat down with a couple of boys, and he started talking to them and young teenage young men, and as he started talking to me, he asked the question, "Guys, do you know about Jesus?" And three guys looked at him and made this statement, "No. This is in Mars, Alabama. This is not in Sub-Saharan Africa or in the Middle East. This is at Mortimer Jordan High School in Mars, Alabama. And a couple of young teenagers looking at somebody saying, nobody had ever shared with them what it means to know Jesus, church family. We've got to have a sense of urgency about this. And very simply, he started to share with them about Jesus. When he finished sharing with them about Jesus, he asked a very simple question. Guys, would you like to commit to follow Jesus today? And two of them said, yes, we will. And in a lunchroom in Mormon Jordan High School, he got to lead two young men to Jesus today. Let's praise the Lord for that, by the way. But here's the, here's the, the lesson out of all that. Is that one young man said, God, will you use me? And God used him. And lastly, this morning, our sixth and final step to live sent for Jesus is you need to be compelled by the need of those around us. In this last verse of this passage, we see the disciples do exactly what Jesus sent them out to do. They start walking in the power of God. It says, and they were casting out many demons and anointing with oil many sick people, and God was healing them. Now, there's, there's so much, by the way, that we could get from this passage. One of the first things that we see from it is, hey, how about when, when the power of God gets on the life of somebody, God can do supernatural things? Now, if you don't think that somebody coming to faith in Christ is not a supernatural thing, then you don't understand salvation. And we look at our community. And the world around us, and we don't think that there are those that are full of darkness and the demonic today that need to be challenged with the gospel of Jesus and set free as darker as our world is getting. We should recognize today we need more people filled with the power of God to subdue the enemy around us. But of all those things, the greatest truth, I think this passage reminds us of, Mark writes this in such a way that it is as if they walked out and just broken and hurting people were all around them. I mean, it was like, he's written this in such a way that they didn't really have to look for him. They were just regularly encountered broken people and lost people. This passage reminds us one of the main reasons we, we must live sent is because there's no shortage of lost and broken people, and this should compel us with the gospel. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus reminds us of this. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That first statement, the harvest is plentiful, may be more true in our day than any of us have ever seen. That any of us have ever known. Friends, we need to live sent today because there are people around us who, without Jesus who are being tormented by darkness. Friends, we need to live sent today because our children are being lied to by the devil every day and are being lured into the trap of death and destruction. Friends, we need to live sent today because there are those who have everything this world can offer but are still empty inside, despairing of life because they don't have Jesus. But ultimately, friends, the most important reason why we need to live sent is because there are people around us who are going to leave this earth in death at a time that is only known by God, and if they are not connected with followers of Jesus who are going to bring the gospel to them, then they will leave this earth and stand before the wrath of a holy God. John chapter 9, verse 4 says this, We must work the works of Him who sent us as long as it is day, for night is coming when no man can work. Think about that. Night is coming. Church family, night could be coming when the neighbors around you that God has put there, they move. And your opportunity to share the gospel disappears. Night could be coming. Students here today, who as you get ready to graduate elementary school, middle school, high school, college, and the people that you're in a class with, Is that you'll never be in a class with those people again. Maybe it's your employment. You're working at a job today that you may not always be at. And then God moves you to another job. And then suddenly the night has come. And night may also come for all of us one day. When the light of our lives dims. And we leave this earth in death and we go to be with Jesus. I remember hearing John Hambright say one time that there's one thing you can't do in heaven. And that's win people to Jesus. Church family... There's coming a day when we cannot work. There's coming a day when we cannot engage people around us. Now is the time. We must be compelled to go with the gospel. To go to those who don't know him. Now, I've given you so many ways that you can live sent today. I'm going to ask Brother Ron to begin to make his way back up here. And I'm trusting that many of these things that you're going to put into action today for, for many of us today, honestly, the first step to living sent is you just need to fall in love with Jesus again. We said that this summer, we wanted this summer to be the summer of seeking. When was the last time that you just laid before Jesus and just wept because of his goodness? That you had a regular routine in your life of how you met with the Father? That you just love Jesus so much that it just naturally exuded a Ralph of you. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe today it's to gather some godly friends around you that would inspire you, encourage you to go. Maybe you need to get in a life group. Maybe, maybe today in this room... You need to prepare to, to be trained to share the gospel one day and go through our gospel training this fall where you learn to do that. There's so many things that you can do, or let God compel your heart and, and praise God for that. In just a moment here, we're going to pray over you. And this is what I would say do not be afraid to come and let one of our pastors come and just lay hands on you, or maybe your husband and wife and you come together and say, We want to put our yes on the table. Oh, God, would you fill us with your power and let one of us pray for you? We want to do that today. Church family, we. We've got to get serious about this. I'm so thankful that God is sending us laborers here. The last couple of weeks, we've had over dozens of people join our church family. Praise God for that. Praise God that our budget is growing because of your faithfulness to give. We're able to do more in gospel opportunities around us. Praise God for all of those things. But church family, listen to me. If, if our growth is just by trading sheep, If it's just Christian growth alone, then we're missing the lostness around us. And the only way we get into that world is by being sent by Jesus. There's so much we can do. But I will tell you this morning as I was preparing, Oh Lord, how do you want me to close this? The Lord reminded me of something. As Christians, often we want to linger at the cross. Man, isn't that good? Isn't it good to just sit with Jesus and just remember His goodness towards you? I was reading, how many of you read our one-year Bible this last week? You read Psalms 136. How over and over again the psalmist talked about how he was good. God did something that says, your faithful love endures forever. Your faithful love endures forever. Your faithful love endures forever. Man, I had a prayer time where I started going through from the time Jesus saved me to bringing me my wife and bringing me my children, the godly people that he's put in my life. And I was just weeping before the goodness of my Savior to me. Folks, it is good to linger at the cross. But what we need to remember here this morning is God hasn't called us just to linger at the cross. He's called us to carry it. He's called us to take it as a banner of His love to those around us, to get up in the morning and say, Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Now let me carry your name and glory to those around me. This is what we were saved for. We learned it in Vacation Bible School just this last week. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So church family, what I'm praying we end this service this morning is that we have our own little commissioning moment today. We all get serious about it and say, Oh God, let me be the light to those around me that I'm supposed to be. Let me be not just a man of faith, but one who walks in faithfulness. Oh God, would you use me for your name and glory. I'm going to ask you to stand I'm going to ask our ministers are going to come and we'll be down here ready to pray. I'm going to ask our counselors too. We've got some of our counselors. Guys, would you come? And and listen, again, church family, let's just just get real here. Have you led anybody to Jesus in the last year? If not, you probably need somebody to come pray for you. If you've got some fearfulness, maybe you need God to do a new work in your heart. Listen, let us pray for you this morning. We would love to pray with you and over you. And I would say this today. You can never tell somebody about a Jesus that you don't know. Today, if you don't know Jesus, call out to him right there where you are. If you're watching online, call out to him. Say, Jesus, save me. I give my life to you. So again, take this moment to meet with God. As we sing, you feel free to come. Father, we love you. We praise you. I pray you'd give people boldness to respond this morning. Send us out for your name and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come, come now. Just start making your way out now. Don't worry about the people around you. Start coming out now right there where you are.